continuing on the prayers of those who have come before us. And I immediately thought of my grandmother, Kicklider, who always prayed. And I then I thought, well, how about the Puritans? They prayed for our nation. And we're just joining in with believers from different centuries. And that's exciting, too. Yep. The fragrance of prayers over the centuries. Yeah. The friends of the past. Yeah. Yeah, I always, I've been playing this tambourine and I always think of Richard's mom, Nana, who worshiped the Lord and she just loved to worship and always make, always think of her when I play it because she was such a prayer warrior and such a woman of God. She's, a, she's an encouragement to her, her, her life still speaks, doesn't it, Carla? Amen. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Amen. Wow. Yes. Wow. Roger, our hearts are hungry. All right. Well, Bill, if, us, you, brother. if you will uh, enable me to, to share the screen. All right. So 503 years ago, as Bill's already mentioned, it happened on October 31st. There, there was an Augustinian monk. He was the professor of theology. He was well-versed in scriptures, but he was looking at the church at the time and looking at scripture, and he noticed that practices in the church were inconsistent in a whole lot of ways. They were inconsistent with what he was reading in scripture, and so he wrote up this document listing out what he saw as problems that needed to be fixed. These were 95 propositions for church reform. And he made his way down to uh, the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. He nailed this document to the castle door. Now, what Martin Luther was doing in taking this document to the castle church door was really this. He was just bringing up for discussion these doctrinal issues. At the time, he wasn't thinking of starting a Protestant Reformation. Here's the issue. Luther did not have social media like we do. He didn't have Twitter. He didn't have Facebook. He didn't have Instagram. So he took this document, uh, we, the 95 Theses, he, this list of church reforms, he took them to the church to start a conversation kind of like we might post uh, something on Facebook and hope that other people are going to join in to the conversation. And he wanted to talk about these issues. He didn't have any idea that over the next couple of weeks and months, over the next few years, up until today, that people would be talking about what he had written. Without a blog, without social media, he had nailed this document to the castle church door. And you know, a few years earlier, the printing press, Gutenberg had invented the printing press. And some people who liked what Luther had written, some of his students took that down, took it to a printer, made copies of it and started distributing it. And pretty soon it had gone out from Wittenberg and pretty much uh, sparked the Reformation. And that's why we look at October 31st as really marking the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. 
And, and when I think of the Reformation, I think of somebody also like William Tyndale, who had one compulsion in life, and that was to teach English-speaking men and women the good news of justification by faith. The problem was they didn't have a Bible in English. And what better way to share this message with his countrymen than to put an English version of the New Testament into their hands. And this, in fact, became Tyndale's life's passion to translate the Bible into English. We mentioned persecution earlier. Well, Tyndale was actually persecuted for this, eventually captured and killed uh, because of his desire to translate the scriptures into English. Uh, I want to mention something else, uh, somebody else. Jan Lasky, he was a Polish reformer. He was a reformer from Poland, and actually he moved from Poland to England, and he had a tremendous influence in England and other parts of Europe. He was an untiring opponent of the heresies of his time. And just like William Tyndale, he had a desire to have the Bible in his native language. And he was one of the translators that helped translate the very first complete Polish translation of the Bible. So it's not, you know, when we think about the Reformation, it's not just Germany or England. It reached into other areas as well. And the, the Reformation itself, if you want to boil it down to what it was, it was a back to the Bible movement. You know, the, the church at the time had really strayed in a lot of significant areas from Scripture. And the Reformers, they sought to restore the church to the pristine teaching of Scripture in a variety of ways, but especially in regards to the doctrine of salvation. And in order to kind of put a light on the doctrine of salvation, I'm going to focus on one of the primary principles of the Reformation, and that is Christ alone. But before I really dive into the message, I just want to go to the Lord in prayer one more time for this. So, so uh, join me in prayer one more time, please. Lord, Father, we thank you for the, your word, and I ask that you would use it to show us Christ. Show him to us as the, the foundation, as the ground of our salvation, and as the object as, of our faith. Thank you, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn, uh, if you've got your scripture or just follow along here, I'm going to be speaking beginning out of Acts chapter 4. And as they, this is Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, uh, greatly provoked because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them. And because it was already evening, they put them in custody until the next day. But many of those who had heard the message believed, 
and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And after they had Peter and John stand before them, they asked the question, by what power or in what name have you done this? Now, Peter and John have been arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. This is the highest court of justice in ancient Jerusalem. And what we're reading here is actually the first persecution of the church that we have recorded in scripture. This is the first time that the church is facing opposition. And imagine this, Peter and John are standing before the high tribunal of Israel. This is some 70 men plus the high priest. And these men would be comprised of Pharisees and scribes. This is the same court that had demanded the death of Jesus. And as we read here, Peter and John, they're placed in the, in the middle of this group of men, the Sanhedrin. And, and the men began to inquire, by what power, by what power, or in whose name have you done this? Now, what they're asking is the events that took place just a little bit earlier. In the previous chapter, what had happened is Peter had healed a man who had been lame from birth. And this man, after he was healed, this man went walking, he went leaping, he went praising praising God through the temple complex. And it got noticed. And so they're asking the question, by what power or in what name have you done this? And here's the amazing thing. Peter, standing in front of all these people, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he answered this way. Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he's pointing his hand, pointing his finger at those 70 people, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well, healed, healthy, walking. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. You, the builders, he has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You see, this, this is the decisive issue of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. How can a sinful man and sinful woman be made right before a holy God? To put it another way, how can a guilty sinner find acceptance with an infinitely holy God in heaven? You see, on, on one side of the debate, was the Roman Catholic Church, which held that salvation is in Jesus Christ and. Now, they would not deny that salvation is in Christ, but they simply added the Latin word et, 
meaning and. So they proclaimed, they argued that salvation is in Jesus Christ and good works and church membership and baptism and indulgences and the treasury of merit and the mass and confession and purgatory and Mary and prayers to the saints and last rites. You get, you get the picture. And if you look at that, you see no one in the Roman Catholic Church could ever really know if they had salvation or not, because no one could live up to a list such as this. But the, but the reformers, Martin Luther, William Tyndale, Calvin, uh, John Knox, they all spoke with one voice, and that voice was the voice of Scripture. They countered the Roman Catholic Church with a resounding no. These reformers declared salvation is in Christ alone, in Latin, solus Christus. You see, the entire Reformation was about the recovery of one true saving gospel of Jesus Christ. The difference could be boiled down to the difference between and and alone, et or sola. And the reformers standing on scripture says salvation is in Christ alone. Solus Christus is one of the five solas of the Reformation. That these came together to form the body of truth that, that is really that that's taught regarding salvation. Think, think of this as imagine there being a foundation, and the, the foundation is sola scriptura, sola scripture alone. So the authority of the church is the Bible alone. Rome said that the authority of the church is scripture and tradition, scripture and ecclesiastical council, scripture and the pope. The reformers said no. The only and highest authority in the church to determine every issue is sola scriptura. That lays the foundation. Now, upon that foundation are massive pillars, three of them, and they very succinctly state what is at the heart of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. They are sola gratia, sola fide, and sola, solus Christus, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is the sum and substance of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you have that foundation, when you have these pillars in place, then on top of those pillars, there's a massive roof that's supported by those pillars that is soli de gloria, to the glory of God alone. If there's any other type of foundation, if there are, are any other pillars, if there are cracks in this foundation, if there are any other erected posts, then the glory of God comes crashing down and it robs God of his glory because there is no salvation apart from these five solas. This is fundamental. 
This is the heart and soul of Christianity. You cannot be a Christian and build on any other foundation. You cannot be a Christian and have any other pillars than these. Otherwise, you are really outside of the Christian faith. And think about this. Christ alone is really related to every other sola. Scripture alone is the word of Christ alone. Faith comes by hearing, the hearing by the word of Christ. All faith, faith alone, is in Christ alone. You can't have faith alone in anything else but Christ alone. And Christ is given by God, by grace alone, given to unworthy, undeserving, hell-bound sinners. And even the faith to believe in Christ alone is is from the grace of God alone. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, uh, verse 1, it tells us that we were dead in our trespasses in our sin. But it is God that has given us, through his grace, the faith to believe in Christ. But what I want to focus on is really look at one thing. And that one thing is verse 12 out of this whole section where it says, and there is salvation in no one else. Now, what I want to do is divide this up just a little bit. Look at the very beginning. And there is salvation. Let me tell you, this is exciting. This is good news to say there is salvation. This is the most important issue for all of you, for everybody here on Zoom, for everyone in the world to know that there is salvation, to know that there, knowing that there is nothing greater going on in your life. Now, notice the exclusivity of this. There is salvation in no one else. There is not a single atom of salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Now take note of the necessity of salvation. Because Peter goes on to say, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And Peter is saying this in front of the Sanhedrin. You know, think about this. He stands before them and he begins by saying, there is salvation. He's saying, listen, man's greatest need is the salvation of his soul. In this day and age, in this time, today, the greatest need is not political. The greatest need is not financial. It's not physical. It's not relational. It's not social. Man's greatest need is spiritual. It's the spiritual salvation of his soul. And there, standing in the midst of the Sanhedrin, Peter declares to them that salvation has now been accomplished, accomplished and is offered to men. There is salvation. And note the verb tense here. This is not something in the future as to say there will be salvation if you perform certain religious acts or if you jump through hoops or if you do certain things, then you can eventually work your way up and achieve salvation. No. 
He says there is salvation. It has been accomplished. It has been already provided. There's been wonderful speeches throughout the ages that have been recorded. There have been movies made about speeches. But I want to argue that what Peter stood here in front of the Sanhedrin and said is the greatest declaration ever made to man. There is salvation. And to explore this, I really want to look at three, at, at, at probably three questions. The first thing I want to ask is, what does the word salvation mean? Well, there's a negative and a positive component to salvation. Negatively, it means to be saved from something. And positively, it means to be saved unto something. Negative, negatively, the word salvation means to be delivered, to be rescued, to escape from a pending destruction, from ruin, from perishing. Every person on planet Earth must be delivered from impending doom. Positively, the salvation means saved for something. It means to be saved unto a right relationship with God, to find acceptance with a holy God in heaven. It's the restoration of man's broken relationship with God. That's what the word salvation means. Deliverance from destruction, rescue from ruin, ruin unto acceptance with God in a favorable relationship with him. Another question that needs to be asked here is from what do we need to be saved? Have you ever asked yourself that question from what do we need to be saved? You know, uh, I remember reading once something that uh, R.C. Sproul wrote. He, he tells about a time that he was in college and a, a very excited new, new believer who was really enthusiastic about his faith was going around witnessing to everybody on campus. And he came up to R.C. Sproul and asked him, he said, friend, are you saved? Well, you know, R.C. Scroll in, in, was in college at this time, but he was he was taken aback by the question. And he writes that he ran to his dorm room. He closed the door, sat down on his bed, and he thought, saved from what? And the answer may surprise you. You and I are saved from God himself from his judgment, from his wrath against sinners. We don't need to be saved from loneliness. We don't need to be saved from poor self-esteem or insecurity. We don't need to be saved from a poor job. These things are nothing compared to our real need, which is to be saved from God's judgment against sinners. And the wonderful thing about it is, is that there is only one who can save us from God, and that is God himself. Only God can save us. And one more question I wanted to ask is, why 
is this necessary? Why is this necessary? Well, I'm going to refer back to the book of Psalms just for a minute. And in Psalm 5, 5, it says, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Scripture says here that God doesn't just hate evil. He hates all people who do evil. This is a whole lot more than, there's a whole lot more to the story than God loves you and has a wonderful plan to your life. It says here, God is angry with the wicked every day. And in verse 6, it says, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. These, these are strong words. And the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who shows his wrath every day. If a if anyone does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He has strung his bow and made it ready. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He tips his arrows with fire. This is God. The arrow is set. The bow is pulled back. And Spurgeon says that God never misses his mark. Look at, look at in Psalm, Psalm 11, verse 4. It says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes watch. He examines everyone. The Lord examines the righteous and the wicked. He hates the lover of violence. Talk about scripture that's appropriate for this time. He will rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. A scorching wind will be their portion. Wow, how scripture is appropriate even today. So this, this is why everyone needs to be saved. They need to be saved from the wrath, from the judgment to come. The impending judgment of God. So, so do you see why salvation is the chief need of every person's life? more important than where any person stands with other men is where they stand with God. More important than where anyone lives is where they are going to live out eternity. More important than a person's body being completely made well and whole is their scripture being well, is their, is their soul being well. Everything else is secondary to salvation. For all of us, salvation should be, should be at the very center of our life, at the center of our family, at the, uh, at the center of our relationship with friends and neighbors. This, I would argue, is the priority of salvation for us. There is, there is, there is a exclusivity, exclusivity of salvation that that this is what the reformers died over. This is what people die over now. If salvation is this important, where is it found? Peter tells us there's salvation in no one else. You know, it doesn't say salvation in nothing else, 
but salvation in no one else. This is a, it's a personal pronoun. It's indicating a person. It has everything to do with a person. Salvation is not in a church or an institution. Salvation is not in a cause. Salvation is found in only one place, and that place is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Peter had just mentioned Jesus Christ in verse 10 when he said it was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And he says there is salvation in no one else. Scripture speaks with clarity. There's no saving grace outside of Jesus Christ. There is no receiving of saving grace outside of faith alone in Christ alone. Salvation is not in Moses. Salvation is not in Paul. Salvation is not in Allah. It's not in Muhammad. It's not in Buddha. It's not in Confucius. It's not in the Pope. It is in Jesus Christ alone. He is the Savior of the world. He is the only good shepherd of the sheep. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. What, what does a mediator do? A mediator stands between two parties where there is hostility, where there is enmity. The mediator steps in to bring reconciliation, but the mediator must be impartial to both sides. The mediator must be equal to both sides, to bring about true and proper mediation. This is why Jesus Christ had to be the God-man, fully God, yet fully man, God in human flesh. This way, he was able to represent God perfectly and completely because Jesus is God. But he was also able to represent man because Jesus is fully man. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It's through the mediation of Jesus Christ on the cross that Jesus has brought together the two parties, a holy God and sinful man. But God, in his grace, in his mercy, he sent his son to be the mediator between God the Father and mankind. You see, it is the result of the love of God, of the mercy of God to provide a way. Out of the depths of his eternal love, he sent his son. And in sending his son, his son was foreordained to die upon the cross for sinners. Scripture tells us he made the one who did not know sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It was the great exchange at the cross where all of my sin was laid upon him, 
and his perfect righteousness was laid upon me. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. With his death, with the shedding of his blood, he alone, and I'm going to use this word, propitiated the righteous anger of God towards those who believe. And the word propitiation, it means to satisfy, to, to appease the holy anger of God towards sinners. It's through the shedding of his blood that we can say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Through his death, he reconciled two parties and brought them together. Through his death, he redeemed us. We were held captive by sin. And through his death on the cross, he freed us from sin and set us free. We were once children of darkness. Now we are children of light. Now, I've already slightly mentioned it, but in, in, uh, oops, uh, in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Now, throughout the Gospels, we hear of Jesus coming from the Father, of Jesus revealing God, of Jesus bringing new life and then returning to the Father. But here, here Jesus is telling us in John 14, 6, Jesus tells us that his role is to lead people to the Father. He is the way to the Father. And not just that, Jesus is saying that he is the only way to God. If you want to know God, you have to come through me. Jesus is saying that he alone is the object of of faith and that we must put our trust in Christ alone for salvation. And see, this is the message that Peter was standing in front of the Sanhedrin proclaiming. This is the ex exclusiv exclusivity of salvation. There are not many roads up the mountain to God. There's only one way. Now that sounds narrow, doesn't it? And I would say, yes, it does. It sounds exclusive. And it is. It sounds intolerant in an age when we are told to be tolerant. But it is intolerant of any other way to God. And so when someone says to you, you're being intolerant, you should be able to reply with this. I'm simply doing what Jesus told me to do, which is to believe that he is the only way of salvation. Proverbs uh, tells us that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is death. And Jesus tells us, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The world hates such statements. 
listen, if you want to be laughed at, if you want to be scorned, if you want to be hated, even persecuted, testify to the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. Say that Jesus Christ is the only Savior, and the world will come against you because nothing is so offensive to the natural man as teaching and proclaiming that we cannot save ourselves. And if we're going to be saved, it must be by God and the way he has appointed. Do you see it now? Do you see how exclusive the salvation of Christ is, the salvation of Christ alone? Do you see why the reformers were willing to commit their very lives to this? Some of them became martyrs. Some of them burned at the stake over this Christian faith, truth, over this issue. Do you see what our witness must be to those who live around us? Do you see how bold and straightforward in our witness we need to be? We live in a culture that elevates the virtue of tolerance and how gracious and how loving and kind we should be to people in the world. And yes, we are to be gracious and loving and kind. But God is intolerant of any other religion or any attempt of man to save himself. Going back to Acts again, we read, for there is no other name under heaven. It couldn't be any more clear. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men. Men did not come up with this. God the Father commissioned and sent God the Son into the world. John 3.16 For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is the one who gave his son. No one else was born of a virgin. No one else kept the law perfectly. No one else has gone to the cross and could die in my place. No one else has removed, taken away the righteous anger of God towards me and my sins. No one else could ever reconcile me with God and be equal with me and equal with God at the same time. No one else could pay the debt of the wages of my sin. No one else has been raised from the dead. No one else is seated at the right hand of God the Father except Jesus Christ. Peter concludes his remarks by saying, by which we must be saved. He's speaking to the Sanhedrin. These were the people who had taken religious efforts to the extreme. He was telling them, you can't be saved by your works. 
you know, Jesus had earlier said, he had said to these same people, unless, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And Peter was saying, you must be saved. So must every one of us. You must be saved from the wrath of God to come. But I want to point out one thing here. When it says you must be saved, notice that this is in the passive voice. This means that we must be acted upon. That's what Peter was telling the Sanhedrin. You can't do it on your own. You cannot save yourselves. Someone else must save you. We are hopeless and helpless. The only contribution that we make to our own salvation, if I dare even phrase it like this, the only contribution that we make is that our sin is laid upon Jesus Christ at the cross. And his righteousness is placed, then placed on us. It's all, it's all of grace. This is what the reformers lived and died for. This is really what people are being persecuted over now. And this is what we are challenged to believe. And this is why we repent and believe in Christ. You know, he's, he's promised us. He's promised us that when we turn to him and seek his forgiveness and confess our sin, that he does not cast us out. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is our savior. Hallelujah. What a savior in Christ alone. Our hope is found. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would help us to faithfully believe what is taught in scripture. Help us to embrace what Jesus taught, to hear him and do what he tells us to do, to do it out of humility and with love and with kindness but with boldness and courage. Give us the same courage that Peter and John had. And may the Holy Spirit work through us as well. Give us the same dedication to the truthfulness of Scripture that the Reformers had. Mold us like clay, Father, and shape us. Make us into soldiers of Christ. Forgive us for our weaknesses, Father, for being fearful to speak out. Thank you, 
grant us boldness to proclaim that salvation is found in Christ alone. Thank you, Father. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. There we go. You know, you, you think about what's happening with the persecuted church. You think there, there must be a foundation or something that enables people to, to stay with that, to stay strong in the face of uh, threats and, and those sorts of uh, things they face. What Church, what, do, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? Um, they might not know everything that Roger just said about the exclusivity of Christ, but there's something that holds them. What is that work of God that does that? I mean, what would you do if you were threatened? Would you renounce Christ? Bill, I do think that even though they might not have all of this, they still had the scripture. They they were standing. They were they were trusting in the scripture. They 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 might not even have the complete text of the Bible, but these people that are being persecuted, you know, they might see this this scripture out of out of Acts that that says that there is only one name. There is there is salvation in no one else. And they stand firm in that right there. There is salvation in no one else except Christ alone. Yeah. You know, the Jews faced um, many nations that surrounded them, and they all had their own gods, and they thought that, you know, gods were just geographical. There was only a god up to the border of your nation, and then you found another god. And so that's why the Romans really didn't matter that um, – when, when Christians came because they worshiped a different God, they just said, well, we'll just add your God to our list. But then the Christians said, well, we don't believe in your gods. And so the Romans called them atheists because they, they were calling God-fearing people atheists because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. They only believed in Jesus Christ and the Father that Jesus Christ is the perfect representation of. But, you know, for us, it comes down to, well, how are we going to live our lives? And are we going to remember our brothers and sisters in other places and the persecution that they face? Um, I don't know. Are there any other comments? Yeah, Bill, to, to answer, answer about um, what, what we would do or what I would do if faced with that kind of uh, situation where somebody might be saying they were going to kill me for my faith, what would I say? And I've thought about that many, many times. Um, and I think it's real easy to sit here and carry North Carolina in my office and say, oh, yes, I would do this or I would do that. But reality is, apart from the grace of God in that moment, in that moment to take that stand, I think I, along with maybe many other people in our own flesh, we don't know what we would do. But because of, of Jesus and because of him pouring and giving grace for that moment for us to be able to stand. 
that's what I can be confident in, in standing in, not my own flesh, but in standing in the grace of God for the need in that moment to stand for him. Well, even even the passage that I that that we focused on in and in, in Acts, Mary, uh, it said that that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was able to to answer this. Yes, so I think that God is going to give us power to stand by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us to to be able to find the right words to say to uh, to to stand. Yes, and many years ago, I was in, in Scotland on an outreach in, in Edinburgh, and there were people that were mocking, and there were people that were throwing cans of soda and water and all, all kinds of stuff. They were throwing stuff at us, and, and, um, and one of them pulled out what appeared to be a gun, and, um, and in that moment, something rose up within me, this, this love that that was that was so far beyond any kind of love that I had, um, and it was it was the love of Jesus. And I was able to say to this guy, "Jesus loves you." And actually, what he had was not a real gun; it was a squirt gun. <laughs> and so, you know, he squat, uh, uh, squirted the 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 gun, and he dropped it, and he ran off. And that's why I realized in the moment. And Roger, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, you're absolutely right. God just gave the grace. Now, that was not like a life-threatening thing in reality, I found out. But it was like, that's the closest I've come. Um, and I would like to stand firm and, and believe him to supply whatever need that any of us have at whatever moment that we have it. And we did pray for that young man, and he came back later on. And at, by the end of the summer, he gave his heart to Jesus. You know, we don't know what strength we'll need tomorrow. Or today. Or even later today. Um, but I, I do want to, to spend a moment. It, can we pray for our nation and... Um, the upcoming election we we had yesterday we we had the crosswave team pray and we invited one of the women on staff works for a congressman in a district east of here <coughs> and we asked her to to lead prayer time for crosswave so we, you know we've got these 10 to 18 year olds praying for our nation and these are the four topics that we prayed into yesterday and i wrote them down so i could share them with you today because i thought they were great she said, um, well, let's pray that we would live in the way of Christ and be his force of change in our nation. Uh, you know, with the resolute belief that Roger has encouraged us here this morning, we would be, we would live in the way of Christ. We would walk in step with the spirit. That was the first thing she said. Then she said, the second thing we need to pray for was pray for all the candidates because every single candidate running for office is made in the image of God. And he sees them made in his image and he's pleased with how he's made them. And we need to see them as God sees them and pray that God would use them as he sees fit 
pray for all the candidates. And then she said, and pray for all the staff and the advisors to the candidates, those who are assisting them and finding out information and making recommendations. And, and I thought about Hushai and the other guy, Ahithophel, uh, that were advisors to King David and, and Absalom when he was trying to take over the kingdom. And, um, but to pray for the advisors of all the candidates and those who speak lies to the, the candidate and those who speak the truth. And then the fourth thing she asked us to pray for, and it has to do with our nation and our nation's existence and our nation's founding. She asked that we would pray for the, the wisdom of God contained within our constitution would survive. And that we would remain able and willing as a nation to live for him. To pray that our constitution and the wisdom that God imparted to the people who developed the constitution and the bill of rights and that uh, all the amendments to the constitution and uh, even the declaration of independence. We, we really latch onto that declaration of independence and we try to apply it to everything. But in terms of founding a nation, it was a pretty valuable uh, agreement. But these four things, strive in the, to live in the way of Christ, pray for all the candidates, pray for the staff and advisors and pray that the wisdom of God and the strength of God and the constitution would survive. So could we pray for a moment for these things? If one of those resonates with you, would you lead out in prayer in that particular area? And then I've got one final song. Please unmute before you pray. Father, I'd want to lift up to you every person from the men who are running for the office of president, vice president, every person who's running for an elected office this, this year. I want to lift them up to you and pray for their salvation. Father, there, there are many people running in for not just from the president and vice president offices, but in state and local government in every state. And I pray for every person that's running for political office, that they would come to realize that nothing is more important than their own salvation that winning that political office when it comes down to where they're going to spend eternity is not quite a big deal. That pursuing a life's dream or life's desire is nothing compared to having a right relationship with God. And so I pray that, that 
through your providence. People that surround them who were Christians would be able to speak into their lives. Lord, whoever, whoever wins in all these offices, I pray that you would raise up staff who would be Christian that would be able to give them godly, spiritual, biblical wisdom to speak into their lives. And I pray, I really do, Father, I pray for the salvation of, of all these people who are, who are running for political office. Father, use the Holy Spirit to draw them to you. That they would come to know you as the only way of salvation. That salvation isn't from the government. That salvation is not creating some new program to help people. But salvation is from you alone. Thank you. I would ask that you would strategically place those advisors and staff members, Lord, in uh, in positions of influence, Lord, your people. Lord, I pray, Father, for, um, for, for you to give them wisdom on how to advise. Lord, I pray, Father, that they might um, be in your word, Lord, and be able to speak forth um, what is right and what is wrong, specifically from your word, Lord. Um, we just we heard yesterday how how you do that, and Lord, you might put somebody in a, a very unusual place, Lord, um, to be a light. And Lord, we just ask that you would you would strategically put your advisors and staff, Lord, just where you would want them to be. Lord, people from all over this world want to come to the United States of America. And they want to come here because it's a place where there's freedom, there's opportunity, there's a way and a, a place to be able to express who they are, what they believe, and um, to make a place for themselves and their families. And Lord, a huge part of that is because of your favor upon our land and upon the things that we were established by our constitution. And I, I believe that you did give inspiration to those men who were writing that document. We've been led and ruled by that as a country for many years. I pray that that document would not be shredded Lord, that it would not be ripped up and torn apart. That document certainly is not higher than your word and in your truth, your Bible. But Lord, I believe that it came um, by, by inspiration from men who did 
follow and we're under your authority. And there's so many principles in our government that we look and we, we see that they were modeled and fashioned after things that you said. So Father, I, I do pray that, that, that our constitution would stand and um, that we would not see the demise of our um, country's foundations and that we would, um, would continue to have freedom to be able to worship you in this place and also to send people, to send missionaries out from this place, Lord, proclaiming your truth and your way. I pray that we as your church would not be stifled in this country, that we would not be um, muzzled in this country, but that you would make a way for our religious freedoms to stand and that certainly that, that provision is made in our constitution. Lord, let it stand and let us stand, one nation under you, under God. Um, Lord, let us continue to stand in you and in liberty that you give. Lord, the ancient church, um, I don't know that they had a, a game plan to be a force for change in the world. And yet they were. You know, how is it that nations that receive Jesus Christ and, and never, no nation comes all at once, Lord, it, it comes small. It comes as a, one person, maybe a family. We begin to live according to the ways of God with love and compassion and, and mercy and grace. And they begin to win hearts over, Lord, not by threat and not by force. Lord, the force for change is living in accordance with the ways of God. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Being a force of loving your neighbor as you love yourself and Lord of being a force that, that doesn't show partiality or favoritism in any administrative area or any law or any enforcement of a law Lord, who, who doesn't prejudge the thoughts and intentions or the, the, the scripture, you can do that, but we shouldn't be doing that. But I pray that the force of change that we're praying for would be a, would come out of a godly abiding in Christ. And Lord, yeah, we, we talked about that this is the moment. Lord, this is the moment that we you've given us to live for you. Lord, may the church in our country, this country, and every other country live for you. Knowing, Lord, that you prepared a better place for each one of us. And we're simply passing through like aliens and strangers. We're passing through this area, Lord, being your ambassador, servants of our king, almost in a foreign land, proclaiming who you are and the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Lord, you've given us much to consider and think through today. And in every case, 
election, persecuted church, reformation, it all comes back to looking to Jesus. So Lord, we fix our eyes on him. Because Lord, he is the source of all we want, all we desire. And Lord, your word tells us that the things that we see are temporary, but the things that are unseen are everlasting. So Lord, give us eyes to see faith to believe. Thank you for the grace, Lord. Thank you for the scripture. Lord, thank you for the word of God. And thank you, Lord, for the church. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to save us. Hallelujah. To trust in Jesus alone. Because you've given us faith. Lord, faith is the the, the very only thing, Lord, that can unlock this promise and bring it to reality in our hearts. Lord, it's by your grace alone, through the word alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Lord, may you strengthen your church every place and at every time. And Father, even us today, we, we just count it all joy, Lord, to know you. And if we face various trials tomorrow, we have a bedrock of trust in you. Thank you, God. So, Lord, we ask your favor this week for our nation and for every nation. But, Lord, especially as they finish counting the votes and, and all that happens Tuesday and with all the mail-in ballots and all of the hubbub and confusion we've heard, Lord, we ask that your ways and that you rule and reign over the United States of America. Thank you, God. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have worship this morning. Amen to that. Amen to that. Mary, what have you got for us today? Okay. Uh, Eva is on with us today. And um, Eva, last Sunday, we mentioned that Damien's birthday was going to be on Friday, but you weren't with us then. So Eva and Damien had opportunity to celebrate her husband Damien's birthday on Friday. So from our church, please wish him a happy birthday. Amen. Yeah. Thank you very much. And um, uh, Amalia and Ugo, or Coco, as, as we call her, they will be celebrating their anniversary this upcoming Saturday. Of course, Bill's already mentioned we have an election coming up on Tuesday. And if you have not voted, please remember to go out and exercise your right to vote on Tuesday. I always personally wait until the day of election day to vote. So I'm excited about that. Um, Wednesday night, we have prayer meeting. And then also not this week, not this Tuesday election day, but the following Tuesday, Eva will be flying from Texas 
to be with us in North Carolina for a week. So we're wow. excited. Um, Eva, I don't know if we're going to be able to meet in person, but um, you'll be here with us and and we'll meet somehow together <laughs> with you. And hopefully some of y'all will get to see Eva while she's here. We'll take so her to Bojangles. <laughs> a Bojangle. We can wait to... I am so excited to this <laughs> treat. We've already been making plans, um, and and so we're excited about that. And I do want to give you an update on Aaron. Um, while we were having our church service, they were trying to find a vein to be able to put the injection in. And the first vein, um, the way Mary Jane put it was, it blew out. I don't know exactly what that means but the the bottom line is they were not able to get the injection in that vein and so for two hours they searched for a vein and at um, two minutes to one o'clock they hit a vein and so the injection has started wow. but every step of the way of of this whole thing with this young man has been a struggle so thank you all for having prayed and i appreciate you continuing to pray for for him and for them. How, how old is he? 20. 20, wow. He's 20. And uh, he's gone through a great deal of suffering in those, in those years. So thank you for praying. And thank you, Jesus, that they were able to get a vein that could sustain the injection. There's life in the blood, right? Amen to that. Life in the blood. And Roger, thank you for your message. I thought it was a, a really, really good word. Thank you. Let me, uh, y'all could just take one more story. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, well, you know, today is November the 1st, and we have made it 10 months through 2020. We've only got two more months to go. Hallelujah. And then, I, and then I felt this check in my spirit, and, I, and, I, and it was like, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I thought, okay, Lord, I'm going to rejoice in every day you give me. I'm not going to wish any of them away. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm just going to enjoy the moment that I have with you. And I encourage each one of you, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in this day, even if it is 2020. We have no guarantees 2021 are going to be better. We pray that they would be. And we can hope. And we can hope. But uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So that's my last story for right now. <laughs> if I could uh, share something also with you. It's, uh, Please. I'm so grateful to be with you, with all of you today. And... First time when I saw on the on the screen the the word like uh, God alone was like wow I I I see something like that in my head exactly one week ago from Sunday to Monday I had a dream and after that I wake up and that was like uh, in my head was one sentence God alone is enough. Mm. <laughs> And that was so, uh, that was like, God, enough, God alone is enough. Uh, 
and it was so like the word was like I tried to find the word. I don't know if English is is good, but that was for me like big con consolation. Like the word of consolation for me, like I stop fear. I stop feel fear. Mm. I, I don't know how to. I would like to share with you, but I don't know how to express. But this sentence, this word was for me like, wow, that's... With this word, with this, uh, with know uh, that God alone is enough, I can go everywhere <laughs> and I can do everything Amen. without yeah. fear. You know, that, that was so great. And that's why I am so grateful to be with you today and here. You were, Roger, that was so big joy in my heart to remind me again <laughs> what um, the dream I had because I just, you know, forget about that and you remind me again. Well, thank, thank you. you. It, it, it gives me confirmation that, that, that my message was for, for today. Thank you, Eva. That's that's uh, um, it's it's not it's great to see life in your face, and that and that uh, his word just confirms and it and it, it it's our consolation that that it, it's all we need uh, because it's alive and it's living within you. We can see that. Amen. You know that that same realization, Eva. Each one of us has had. Everyone who comes to faith in Christ, we see that and we, we rejoice in it, that we have, God has shown us the way. Um, and we are so grateful that God even made a way for us. So, yeah. Anyone else have a, something you need to share? Y'all remember to pray for Eva's flight next week from Tuesday? Um Hugo and, and Coco's anniversary vote, pray on Wednesday night. And um, I miss seeing y'all face to face today, but I enjoyed meeting together on Zoom. Anybody else? Thank said you. Bill, thank you. And thank you for continuing to arrange the Zoom meetings for us and letting us know and and um, all the technical support that Mike gives. And <laughs> thank you all, all um, that, that this is possible for all of us to be together yeah. in this way. And then when we met in person that, that uh, y'all figured out a way and made it possible for us to all connect in person and on Zoom. That's been it's really been tricky. We're, we still got some details to work out with that one. <laughs> <laughs> to make it feel like everybody's attending the same meeting rather than you know, people up in the balcony watching something happen downstage or something, but uh, it's a bit more difficult. Well, Preston, yeah. how are you? Um, I'm doing better, but now that we've worshiped and I'm edified by Roger, I need to go rest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you all for prayers and thank you for asking and, uh, I will see you next Sunday, Lord willing. I'm going to sign off. God bless. Right. Bye, bye, Preston. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye, Rebecca. Bye, y'all. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, Eva. Eva, yeah. I would like to know if you've ever heard of that uh, reformer that I mentioned, uh, Jan Lasky or Johannes uh, Lasky.
No, that was also a surprise and I just uh, tried to check that and thank you for mentioning that <laughs> because I really didn't know that in Poland also that happened. Yeah, he, he had gone from Poland to England and because so many people during this time had were were being persecuted, a lot of people had fled to England and so he helped establish basically a church for foreigners in England uh, during this time. But eventually, you know, his heart's desire was to, to provide scripture to, to the people of Poland in, in their own language. And so, like I said, he was one of the very first people to take the Bible and translate it uh, uh, into the Polish language. Yeah, that's, and his name was, uh, could you tell me again? Yes, uh, Jan, J-A-N-L-A-S-K-I. Okay. I, I try to read more about that because <laughs> it's very interesting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's... That's good to know. I, I heard from my family, like for many years, we uh, people don't know exactly what uh, what was read, what was uh, what was right in Bible because everything was like uh, uh, speak Latin, mm. and I think that's that's uh, changed a lot. Wow. If yeah. we can. Um, read in our language and we can understand more yeah absolutely absolutely thank you so much for sharing it just it started me crying right away just um reminding me of the faithfulness of god to draw us to him and reveal more of himself to us thank mm -hmm. you for sharing yeah it's beautiful yes yeah Yes, well, I hope that I, I can uh, know more <laughs> when I stay in North Carolina with Mary. I hope that will be a lot of uh, more discussion about <laughs> conversation. Yeah, the, it'll be a crash course. <laughs> well, don't don't worry when the sun goes down at 5, 18 to the afternoon <laughs> and it starts getting dark at uh, just after five o'clock. It's... Uh, all part of God's plan for the rotation, <laughs> the orbits. It's, it's all the way, it's just the way it works. <laughs> anyway, it's good to see everybody. Bye. Phoebe, Rebecca, Penny. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. That was a wonderful service. Thank you. It was. Bye, Henry. Bye, Mr. Bill. Bye, buddy. Bye. God bless bye. you. Bye-bye.